Well, this... Hold on a second, I'm sorry. Um, so in today's Parsha, we... Uh, one moment. No. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so uh, this week's Torah portion... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, this, these, these are very distracting. Aren't they distracting sometimes? Okay, my, my wife, Sonia, can you, can you just hold on to this? I don't, I don't want it distracting me during, during the sermon. Thank you. Love you. Oh, yeah, this is technology. You know, you can't get away from it. Uh, these things can be distracting. How many of you have a smartphone? Right? Ah. I, I was expecting just sort of my generation and younger, but uh, let me see those hands again. Who has a smart smartphone? Those are, those are fun, aren't they? You can, you can do a lot with a phone. Well, today's sermon actually has to do with these kinds of distractions because uh, it actually occurs in this week's Parsha. And... No, there are no iPhones in the Parsha, no Android, but nonetheless, this idea is in there. So today I'm going to talk about distractions, and I have two points. You know, Rabbi David is gone, so we had to cut back. Um, this, this sermon is entitled, Mandrakes and Household Gods. Those are my two points. Mandrakes and household gods. So let's begin with point number one, mandrakes. In this week's Parsha, we have the story of Rachel, story of Rachel. She's an interesting character. Rachel is Jacob's favorite wife. He has two, but she is barren. So she decides to fix this problem with something. So we pick up the story in Genesis 30, verses 14 through 15. This is what she does. During the wheat harvest, Reuben, which was Leah's son, went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Seemed like this valuable item here. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. What, what is going on here? Well, Reuben is Leah's son, the firstborn of Jacob. And Leah is the wife Jacob kind of got um, accidentally. It was a, sort of a two-for-one deal at Laban's. But Rachel is the wife that he actually loved, and she was childless. And Rachel is very distraught over this. You can imagine at this time period how she might feel, what she might be going through, having no children. In the ancient world, this was a big deal, and especially to the children of Israel. God would bless, he said he would bless the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you have to have descendants for that to happen, right? And there's a lot of anxiety in Genesis over the descendants. Um... As we discussed a few weeks ago, Abraham got a little anxious 
about his descendant situation, and he had Ishmael, right? We talked about that. Remember, Sarah, Sarah told him to have relations with her maid, Hagar, when it seemed they wouldn't have an heir. And then the heir of their old age, Isaac, when they did have him, he was nearly sacrificed, but he was virtually raised from the dead. And then there was Jacob. Jacob. Jacob, of course, was to become the father of Joseph, the savior of the known world at the time, one of the best prototypes of Messiah in the Tanakh. But I'm, I'm skipping ahead here. So male descendants are very important, right, in the society, and particularly in the patriarchs. So you could say a woman at this time, she might base her worth on this, on providing descendants. It's a very, it's a very delicate, sensitive issue. Barrenness in Genesis and other parts is a sign of being cursed by God. When, when Abraham lies, uh, well, he's, he's saying this is my sister, um, but it's really his wife, and then it causes the king to... All the women in the town, they, they, they're barren. They're unable to bear children because of this misstep of Abraham. So, and having a child, of course, the opposite would be a sign of blessing. So we can imagine all the feelings that Rachel is feeling at this point, right? What would bring her to this point? And so we pick it up in Genesis 30, verses 1 through 3. And Rachel, <coughs> when Rachel saw she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister, So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? This is one of the first marital spouts we see in the scripture. And then she said, here's Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me and I can too can build a family through her. Well, we definitely get a sense of of her desperation, her jealousy, her anxiety. So what do we do when we're desperate, when we're jealous, when we're anxious? We go straight to the prayer closet, right? Well, to be honest, that's not often our first step. And neither was it Rachel's first step. It was like plan Z. So first... She blames the husband. You are not giving me any descendants. Now, I only have about seven months of marital experience, and I don't feel I'm qualified to weigh in on this, on this disagreement. Uh, and, it, and Scripture says it's, it, you're like a, a fool entering into an argument is like a, grabbing the ears of an angry dog, right? So I'm not going to get into this what I think. But those of us who are married, we can relate to this, right? Rachel blames Jacob. Jacob blames God. It's his fault. And Rachel then finds a solution, but not Hashem. Hashem is not the solution. The servant woman, the servant woman will give you a son. And Jacob seems to go along with this plan. But this plan does not pan out. Rachel is still childless. So plan A was what? Blame the husband. Plan B, give Jacob her female servant. Plan C, 
the mandrakes. The mandrakes. What's, what's with these mandrakes? Well, mandrakes are a plant, and the root, root of which, in ancient times, was believed to provide fertility, because sometimes the root looked like a person. That's what they thought. So here's, here's a picture of a mandrake. There you go. So the root there, that's what she, that's what she sold a night, you know, with the husband for, for this. Rachel sells her night with Jacob for a mandrake. So Jacob came in from the fields that evening. Leah went out to him to meet him. She said, you must sleep with me. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night in exchange for a root. Kind of reminds me of, of Esau's choice, right? To sell his birthright for some soup. He's the, the, the soup, right? The mandrake. These, these little things, these little distractions, right? This is what we turn to. This is her iPhone. This is what she, she's, you know, ask, ask Google. Google it if you don't know the answer. Why, why not pray about it? Anyway, this plan is also fruitless. So when are we going to realize that plan A and plan B and plan C don't work out? We need to try plan G. Yeah, that's right. Clap. Clap for God. The G stands for God. Tell somebody next to you, try plan G. Yeah, tell somebody else, when your plan doesn't work, when your plan doesn't work, I can't hear you. When your plan doesn't work, try God's plan. Did you tell someone else? Tell somebody. All right. So sometime later, God implements his plan, despite Rachel's attempts, at her own way. In Genesis 30, verses 24, we find this. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. God has taken away my shame. And she named him Joseph. And we all know how special Joseph was. And said, may the Lord add to me another son, because Joseph in Hebrew is Yosef. It's, 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 it has to do with adding, God adding. So this is, this is an example of God's grace. And are, are we any different from Rachel? If we're, if we're waiting on God to answer our prayers, what's our, what's our mandrake? What do we rely on while we're waiting for him? But you see, God is, is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to Rachel. Even though she went through all her plans, God still gave her his plan. It doesn't say that Rachel cried out to the Lord. It says God remembered her. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he has grace. He has grace on his children. I think it's easier if we do his plan first, but if we make a misstep, if not, he's still faithful. He still implements his plan for his purpose. Amen? And this brings us to the second point, household gods. So later on in the Parsha, after Jacob has worked for Laban, and uh, <clears throat> Jacob takes off in the middle of the night with all his wives, all his cattle, everything. He's afraid that Laban 
is going to take his daughters back and all his possessions. He's afraid of Laban. This is what it says in the scripture. So he, in the middle of the night, he flees because God tells him to go back. God didn't tell him to do it in the middle of the night, but that's what he told him. So after he leaves, Laban discovers that Jacob has left. He left without saying goodbye, right? Which is, you know, not very Jewish. But, uh, and he, he also finds that his household gods, which in Hebrew is teraphim, are missing. Little, little idols. And this is because someone took them. Do you know who took them? Rachel. Rachel took them before she left. And the scripture doesn't say why. But, of course, I have some theories. So, Laban catches up to them. Right? This happens in Genesis 31, verses 33 through 35. Let's see what happens. So, Laban went into Jacob's tent. He's looking, looking, for, the, looking for the household gods, right? In Leah's tent. And he went into the tent of the two female servants. He found Nothing. He came out of Leah's tent. He entered Rachel's tent. Maybe Rachel took them. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods, the teraphim, and put them inside her camel's saddle. She was sitting on a camel. And she was sitting on them. And Label searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. And uh, <clears throat> so Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. Uh, you can read it for yourself. She gives an excuse. And he, he searched all around. He could not find the household gods because she was, she was sitting on them. And she said, I'm, I'm in the, it's, you know, it's happening to me. I don't want to talk about it, but uh, I didn't take them. Rachel hides them on her camel. She gives an excuse to Laban. Not only does she take them, but she deceives her own father right? Just like Jacob. She deceives her father to keep them. Now, some of the traditional midrashim, the rabbis, you know, of course, we love Rachel, right? So we, they try to kind of explain it away. Well, maybe she was, um, she was concerned about his idolatry. So she was getting them out of his house so that he wouldn't struggle, right? Let me take my friend's iPhone for him so that he is not distracted and now I have an iPhone. I don't know. Does that, does that hold up to you? No, I, I think it's unlikely. It's unlikely in my opinion. There's no indication that Rachel ever got rid of, rid of these in Scripture after she got back. And we have evidence from the Mandrake story that she tends to rely on things other than God. She tends to have these Mandrakes and these... Household gods, just like us, we rely on things. So the Peshat, or the simple meaning of the text, is that Rachel saw some value in these teraphim. But what exactly are they? What are these things? Well, the same Hebrew word comes up later in the story of Micah, which is in Judges. And we find a man, it's Micah, it's in Judges 17 and 18. And there's a man with some household gods, teraphim, named Micah. He's just trying to worship the Lord. This is a, a, there's no like leader. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And uh, Micah, he meets a, a Levite, a Levite, a priest. And, and the sacrificial system isn't really going on right now, so the priest is kind of unemployed. 
So he says, well, you could be my, my personal priest. Sounds good, right? You know, at least one house will be following the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> he, um, but he has these, these teraphim. And the priest in the scripture, he uses the materials that he has, including the household gods, and he serves Micah in the house. So imagine like having your own personal rabbi in your house just serving you. And, but he, the, the, the priest doesn't, doesn't throw out the teraphim. They're not, they're not so bad in him. And then later on, they're actually stolen by this other guy, and that's another story. So, so maybe the teraphim aren't so bad. I think... My, my sense is that it's, in the context, it's sort of in the same category as the high places in Scripture. Do you know what I'm talking about? So, you know, in the, in the, in the time of the judges, there were, there were some good kings and some bad kings. And the good kings, Israel would, would turn toward the Lord. But a lot of times it said, but they didn't do anything about the high places. They kind of, the, they sort of worshiped the Lord kind of how they wanted to. You know, and that, the high places weren't really pleasing to God, but it's not the biggest deal. It's not straight up idolatry. So that's, that's kind of how I see these teraphim. It's basically people worshiping God, but doing it their way. So perhaps Rachel is going to use these teraphim for the worship of Hashem. Maybe she's using it for a good reason. But it's still not ideal because it's an idol. It's an object of worship. And the Ten Commandments says, you shall not make idols. That it's going to cause you to stumble, but just worship God. And we've seen that the mandrakes can represent doing our plans our way. And the household gods represent doing God's plans our way. But the ideal, of course, would be doing God's plans God's way. That would be the best. So how do these stories apply to us? How do we respond to challenges and stress and difficulties? Is there anything that we do that soothes us, right? You're stressed out by work. What's your first response? Maybe you exercise. That's not bad, right? Maybe, maybe go on Facebook for a little while. Just a couple minutes, a couple hours, YouTube. It's right there. It's right in your pocket. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you turn on the TV for a while, kind of drown out, forget your concerns. Maybe you throw yourself into, into details, into work, throw yourself into something, and get drowned in those details. Maybe your first instinct, going through a lot, I'll call on my best friend. I'll call my friend, and I'll kvetch, and I'll vent, and I'll tell them, all about my horrible boss and my horrible coworkers and my horrible children and my horrible spouse, and then I'll feel better. We do that, right? And, and so what? You know, there's one morning this week I went to school and I was w- with my colleagues and I started, I started complaining about somebody to, to them. And I was just like, oh, it's so difficult. And, the, and one of my colleagues... He just said, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Too much negativity for the morning. Wasn't even 8.30 yet. And I, man, I was convicted, I tell you. The whole rest of the day, I sought to be positive and bring joy 
to my colleagues as an expression of how God made me joyful and put me in my workplace to be a light, not to be a kvetch. How often do we seek the Lord in these times, if we're honest? Let's get honest. If we're honest, we all have our mandrakes and our household gods, and they're all lined up. But Hashem, that's another question. I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. I'm talking to myself here. And these things that we rely on, the technology, the media, and the distractions, I'd like to speak to my, my generation in particular, and, and younger. Raise your hand if you're in your 30s or younger, all right? Now, if you're older, you can still listen, <clears throat> okay? This, this is especially for you. Uh, my, friend, my friend Lloyd, he said I could share this, this story. He, Lloyd works in IT, uh, and so he works with a lot of young people, and uh, they were all you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they were all huddled around looking at, what do you think they were looking at? Their phones. Maybe YouTube, I don't know. Their smartphones, right? And I don't know if you guys know Lloyd, but Lloyd is, uh, is not really part of that generation, not really part of that culture. I, he- I heard he recently got Facebook, but, you know, that's... Um, anyway, so he goes up to these people, and they're sitting around, huddled around, and they say, what, what kind of... Lloyd... What kind of phone do you have? And he says, I, I don't have a smartphone. What? How can you not have a smartphone? How can you, how can you live without instant access to Google and Facebook and words with friends? Yeah, that's, that's one of my problems. And then and he said, well, well, what kind of phone do you have? He said, I don't, I don't have a phone. Anyone that knows Lloyd, he does not have a cell phone. He does not have a smartphone. He does not have a cell phone. He has a house phone. If you want to call him, you call his house when he's home. Right? And they, they couldn't believe that either. He's like, well, do you have any technology at all? Do you have an, an iPad? He's like, oh, yes. I have, a, I have a MyPad. And he pulls out his pad, yellow pad, and his pencil. He's like, this is my pad. This is how I keep track of things. All right? So if, if Lloyd can live like that for years, years, we could, we could do a couple days, right? My generation, could we do a couple days? What? I, I don't know what's funny, right? I would, like, I would like us to ask right now, we're going to pray in a minute. I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to give up for three days. I want us to fast from some distraction. Ask him. If he tells you anything, I want you to write it down, please. I want you to ask him also how he wants you to use that time. So you're not going to be on Facebook. You're not going to be on YouTube. You're not going to be on Netflix. What are you going to do with your time? Maybe God has an idea. Maybe God wants to write the next great Messianic Jewish worship song through you. He's been waiting to spend time with you so he can give it to you, but we're distracted. Maybe he wants to teach you something about his word. Maybe he wants to give you a vision, a vision for your life, for your spouse. If you're not married, maybe he wants to tell you who your spouse is. I don't know. He wants to tell you something. He likes to talk to us. 
Whatever it is, we're gonna, I want us to pray for those two things. We're going to take some silent time. I want you to ask him, Lord, what should I give up? And Lord, how do you want me to use this time? Okay? If he tells you anything, he might not say anything. But if he says something, he drops something in your heart, I'd like you to write it down. All right? I'm going to do the same thing. Let's pray.